and welcome to PLMR's new podcast series where we will be discussing some of the biggest topics affecting the UK from sustainability and tech to education, health and social care and more. We'll be joined by guests who are experts in their fields to help shed light on some of the more complicated issues as well as sharing their own insight and personal predictions for their sectors. My name's Neve Mercer and I'm an account manager here at PLMR. And this month, we were delighted to be joined by Rebecca Newsom, Head of Politics at Greenpeace UK, and Leo Barassi, author of The Climate Majority, at a PLMR panel event discussing the gendered nature of sustainability. I caught up with them ahead of the event to get their insight on the role of sustainability and the environment in the 2019 general election. So firstly, can I ask you both to introduce yourselves? Hi, my name's Rebecca Newsom. I head up the politics team at Greenpeace UK. Hello, my name's Leo Barassi. I write about public opinion and climate change. Great. So the first question it would be great to hear your thoughts on is this year in the election, sustainability targets and environmental pledges have been high on the political agenda. So what do you think has been behind the rise in these issues? Start with you, Rebecca. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that the kind of the movement of uh, young people taking to our streets in Extinction Rebellion, uh, rising up and actually saying enough is enough, is really accountable for a big shift. Um, I think that plus also actually the climate science and an increasingly stark warning of the fact that we've only got a 10-year period to actually stand a chance of setting us on track to even containing global warming to a manageable level. And even then it's going to be really, really uh, catastrophic for many people across the world so I think people are looking at the science politicians can't avoid that but they also can't avoid the pressure of their constituents and young people on the streets demanding that we see change and and that's starting to translate into the political debate great and would you agree with that Leo yeah I absolutely agree I think the just what I would add is that where we are now is probably the result of a trend that's been building for a few years um, and I think the kind of protests that we've had now probably wouldn't have been so successful a few years ago and I think as Rebecca says that's partly about the science and the, the strength of the science. I think it's also about the reality of climate change as people are experiencing it. I think summer last year, summer 2018, was, was massive in terms of across most of the Northern Hemisphere, people just experiencing what climate change felt like for week after week after week, and that combined with the science. And I think as well, combined with the failure of the climate denial movement, that uh, for a long time the media wanted to cover climate change with, uh, do people believe in it, do they not? And I think their inability to come up with anything new has just meant that the media have got bored from that and they're ready to talk about the science. Great. Um, So a recent Ipsos Mori poll that was reported in The Independent indicated that voters in this election actually care more about the environment than the economy. So do you think that the main political parties are doing enough to win over voters with their environmental pledges? Well, uh, I think it remains to be seen as we're sort of starting to see the manifestos rolling out. Obviously, today we had uh, the Labour Party manifesto and we've also had the Lib Dems and the Greens this week. Greenpeace is actually doing um, a sort of independent ranking of each manifesto set against 16 criteria that we have sent the parties uh, in advance. And so I've been actually going through the Labour one today and cross-checking how they're doing against the, the, the standards we set them. And I'm pleased to say that in a lot of areas they're doing well, um, although... 
there's some serious gaps, for example, on their aviation policy and actually also on the DEFRA brief where they are notably weaker. So uh, I can't really comment yet on the Conservatives' position because we're yet to see their manifesto. Obviously, what I can say is that across the board, the narrative of the climate emergency, the urgency for action and uh, the centrality of this issue in the debate throughout this election campaign is, is really clear. But what we're looking for now and what the science requires is tangible policies that will actually transform the economy. And uh, we, we can't give po political parties credit for uh, just saying some warm words. They need to get on with the hard action. Absolutely. Um, and with your background of policy and polling, what's your take on the pledges we've had from the parties? So I think the real challenge that uh, we're already starting to see is that the parties have, have absolutely shifted in, their, in how they're describing climate change. So their rhetoric about it is vastly better. I think what I'll be really interested to see about what Greenpeace make of it is when it comes to the details, how far the parties are willing to, to confront some of the more difficult stuff. Because I think where public opinion still hasn't really got to is an acceptance that tackling climate change is not only necessary and urgent, but actually is going to require some quite wide-scale significant changes. Um, to be honest, I've been a bit alarmed that a lot of the focus has been on who can plant the most trees, because planting trees is really important it is actually quite difficult at large scale but it's also really popular and if you were going to pick any climate pledge that was difficult then that's probably the most popular of them if the parties aren't also willing to talk about the harder in terms of public opinion kind of changes that might be needed right now when people are worried about climate change when it's getting a lot of attention and when their pledges are under scrutiny so if they don't talk about what they're going to do about reducing car use perhaps or getting people to replace boilers from their homes or changing what they eat if they don't talk about that now then i'm worried about at what point that's going to become part of the debate Absolutely. And more on the consumer side, often the rhetoric around sustainability refers to it as a trend or perhaps more of a fad. Do you think that this is the case in politics or you think that sustainability as an issue is really here to stay? I'll go to you first for this one, Leo. Um, so it absolutely has shot up in the last few years and it's at the highest level since at least 2005. But that comparison is a bit worrying because around that time, we had quite a few years of people getting more and more worried about climate change, people talking about it more and more. And then the recession hit and then the climate denial movement got going and concern about climate change did fall quite a lot and it stopped being a thing that people talked about. Now, that could happen again. I mean, we are due another recession. If that happens, then maybe climate change will fall down. I think there are reasons to think that wouldn't be the same. I think the fact that climate change is now so visible and so many particularly younger people are so concerned about it. Um, and also that I think scientists are so angry um, probably means that the media wouldn't and politicians wouldn't be given the kind of fair ride they were given for most of the last decade to not talk about it. But I do think that at the moment, if anything, we have a bit of a fair wind behind concern about climate change and that might not last. Interesting. So from your perspective then, Rebecca, what do you think about the government and their actions on sustainability? Is it here to stay? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I agree very much with what Leo just said. And I would just add on top of that that 
uh, in the context of, uh, you know, as we were saying before, we write, we now need into much more interventionist policies into people's personal lives, homes, lifestyle choices that are going to require quite a high level of public buy-in and consent to actually roll out and deliver on a national scale. And so I think it depends on who's in government and what kinds of policies they're prepared to put in place to ensure that uh, they actually are uh, redistributive and don't impact the poorest and the most vulnerable in our communities that in turn, you know, in the absence of doing something like, like that, you're risking sparking a bit of a public backlash. And it also depends who's in power as to what agenda they might have, whether sparking a public backlash might actually be in the interests of popularists um, and who are in power who actually are more interested in, in kind of running their own electoral campaign rather than trying to make uh, our, our society a better place. So I think there's there are a number of variables which mean we're not in the clear, even though we're in a better place now than we were certainly a few years ago. And you mentioned interventionist policies. Do you think that's something that consumers would be ready to embrace or you think this is something that really needs to be made a policy and we just have to go for it? I think there's different ways of designing policies to make them more um, more kind of palatable. So, for example, if we think about flying, um, we all need to reduce, as a country, we need to reduce how much we're flying because those emissions are just skyrocketing. Now, a progressive way of doing that would actually be to introduce a policy like a frequent flyer levy. So the people who fly the most, who generally also tend to be the richest, have to pay progressively more tax per flight they pay. And that means that actually you could probably give a tax rebate to the families who fly once a year to go on their annual holiday, make it cheaper for people to access that, but also make the polluters pay and take most responsibility. So that's one particular progressive design that would also allow us to contain demand in this area. But, you know, the design really matters. Absolutely. And Leo, do you think that consumers are ready for big behavioural changes and shifts? So I absolutely agree agree with the, the point that it matters about how it's designed. I think the thing that really has been lacking and is crucial is the political leadership that joins it all together. I think the reality is many people are not really engaging with the the issue and if they suddenly see that their flights has become more expensive or their petrol has got more expensive uh, without a really good coherent explanation of how this all fits together why climate change matters to Britain why it matters to them and their family how it's being shared fairly how other countries are are also sharing it fairly and all the the benefits we get from tackling climate change all the cleaner air and so on without that then I think it's even the best design policy is going to struggle to get support and I think that can only come from national politics and I think if there isn't leadership from the very top putting this all together as a collection of policies then I think they're going to struggle. Great. So once the new government is in power, then what do we think is next for sustainability? Um, What do you think the government really needs to do to progress positive environmental change? Well, I'd like to see a sort of roadmap for the first 100 days in power for whoever is the next PM. And, And one of the first things that needs to happen is an uplift in government spending and investment uh, in every sector of the economy to drive forward the new clean uh, technologies that we need to see. So uh, Greenpeace 
uh, in coalition with a lot of other groups, over 30 other NGOs, have calculated that we need to see at least 5% government spending on climate and nature per year over the next three years to start setting us on track to actually meeting net zero. So that would be the first litmus test that I would put down. But also quite fundamental things about how does the new government decide to structure itself, to what degree um, does climate and environmental issues, are they written into the mandate and brief of the Treasury and other important financial regulators like the Bank of England? To what degree is there a focus on this within the cabinet? How high up the agenda is it? Because it needs to be front and centre not an add-on. So those would be the first the first kinds of tests that I'd be looking for. Great. And you, Leo, what, what would you like to see happen after the new government's in power? So I think the only thing I'd add to that is that the UK is hosting the International Climate Conference next December. Um, and that's going to be a, a really big moment. It's uh, one of the particularly big conferences. They go in, in cycles for a few years. This is five years after the Paris Agreement. So it's going to be one of the big ones. And I think the government needs to be really clear about why it's hosting it, what it wants to get out of it, and how it's going to lead, lead other countries to strengthen their commitments. Um, because actually the UK is doing quite well in its commitments, and we need to show how we're going to get other countries to, uh, to increase their own pledges too. That's great. Thank you both so much. That's a lot to think about. Thank you for your time. Thanks very much. Thank you very much.